Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what we have in terms of a buzz on the street today. Interesting quote from James. He calls himself Jim Barksdale. James loved Barksdale. Young guy born in 1943. I'm allowed to say that. American executive who served as the president and CEO of Netscape Corporation from 1995 until they merged with AOL four years later. Here's the quote. If we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. I like that. I really like that quote. So somewhere in there is the word data. We actually have it twice in the quote. And that leads me into our topic today. Big data. We've been talking about it since at least 2010. So the question on the table today is, what's the big deal about big data? Well, let me do a little level setting here before I introduce my panelists. Big data happens when traditional software cannot handle the data. Why? There's too much data. Lots of new software has been written to distribute big data across hundreds or even thousands of computers. Think of them sitting side by side by side by side. It gathers and can, can, I'm sorry, it consolidates the results of what it finds. Today, organizations can analyze huge volumes of data. We're talking bigger than you ever imagined, to understand things they need to know, their customers' behavior, their customers' preferences. They need to have data to motivate their workforce. And anywhere in manufacturing, they need to optimize their supply chains. So what has changed since 2010? It was only eight years ago. I'm guessing a lot. What are the big challenges and opportunities of big data for your company? and your industry almost a decade later. And I'm doing a shout out now to our listeners all over the world. This is the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, and we want to thank all of you for making this one of our most popular series. So the experts speak. Let me tell you briefly who's on with me today. We have just two very powerful, very smart people. We have Gerard Das, D-A-S is his last name, Director of Big Data at SAP. And joining him is the sponsor of this series, Ira Burke, whose current title, he tells me as of two minutes ago, is Vice President of Sales Programs and Enablement at SAP, and I just can't keep up with Ira's title. So welcome to the both of you. Gerard Das has sent me a wonderful quote, four little words, a pack a punch from Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte, 1769 to 1821, considered one of the greatest commanders in history. His wars and campaigns are still studied at military schools all over the world. He was the Empire of the French from 1804 to 1814. And again, he didn't have enough, so he came back in 1815 during the Hundred Days War. So here is the quote. War is 90% information. Gerard Das, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for joining us. You're a busy guy, and I know this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart. I love the quote because I like very short quotes, Gerard. Some panelists send me quotes that are 15 paragraphs. I'm only teasing. But I love a quote that where we can really hone in on it. So war is 90% information, and we're talking about big data. Can you relate the quote to our topic for me, please? Yes. Um, I was in the Army driving a battle tank, 
and all that i did was look at my monitors to see uh, to what's happening on the battlefield and decide which way to go which river to run across to fold across and so it's all about information and i don't know how napoleon guessed this but i guess he must have said okay here are the troop movements here are their arms supplies and let me attack them and go through the weakest link in the chain so it it looks like napoleon used big data long before the term was coined isn't that interesting i'm always surprised i've seen this quote before gerard and i'm always surprised to see the word data in a quote from Napoleon. And I haven't found anything online that refutes that it really came from his his lips or his writing, most likely. Isn't it amazing? He was in the 1800s, and here we are in 2018, almost 200 years after the Hundred Days War, and we're still talking about him, and he was using something that we are really concerned about today. War is 90% information. He got it. Are you surprised about that from a historical perspective, Gerard, that he knew information was how he was going to win his wars? What do you think? No, some of the scientific discoveries that I've seen, or read about, sorry, I I didn't see, uh, like using alcohol to perform perform brain surgery way back back then. These ancient people knew how to get a around to doing the task with the equipment they had or figuring something out. And big data is all about figuring something out, whether it's about your supply chain, whether it's all the drones that you're deploying to deliver your pizza and so forth. So they were very, very clever with doing what they did uh, at that point in time. Thank you very much. I appreciate the quote. Gerard, welcome to the show, and we'll come back to you in a minute. Now let me turn to your co-panelist, Ira Burke. Ira is the sponsor of the series, as I said, and Ira decided we were going to do a topic on big data. It's time, isn't it, Ira? And Ira has found a quote, sent us a quote from a lady named Marilyn Vos, V-O-S, or Vos Savant, S-A-V-A-N-T. I'd never heard of her. Ira, she's also a young one. She was born in 1946, and again, I'm allowed to say that. An American magazine columnist, author, lecturer, and playwright. And what's interesting about her is that Marilyn Vos Savant is listed as having the highest recorded IQ in the Guinness Book of Records. And they no longer have the category. But it's interesting. She was listed from 1986 to 89. She entered the Guinness Book of World Records Hall of Fame in 1988. And then Guinness decided to retire the highest IQ category because IQ tests were too unreliable to find a single record holder. And everybody started paying attention. There's a lot of debate about her real IQ. She took the old 1937 Stanford Binet second revision test when she was 10 years old, and she took it in 1956, and she claimed that it measured her mental age at 22 years and 10 months with a score of 228. I'll just leave that at there. There's a whole bunch of people who are debating which test she took and how valid it was. But in 19... She started writing a column in Parade Magazine. Some of you may know Parade Magazine in the Sunday column called Ask Marilyn. And there's a discussion of something called the Monty Hall problem, 
which is related to a TV show. She also married Robert Jarvik, one of the developers of the Jarvik 7 Artificial Heart, and she was made the CFO of Jarvik Heart. She's a very interesting lady, and she was called by Toastmasters one of five outstanding speakers of 1999. All right, Bonnie, get to the quote already, Iris saying. Here we go. A fool is someone whose pencil wears out before its eraser does. Ooh, Ira. <laughs> How are you, Ira Burke? Doing very well, Bonnie, and thanks again for having me back on the show. Delighted. It's your series. Ira, did you know all of this about Marilyn Voss Savant? And Savant is is a smart person. It's a scientist. I marvel at her name, which is so appropriate (laughs) for what she does. Did you know any of this about her background? I didn't know any of it at all. Um, but I thought the, uh, the quote was, was especially appropriate for what we're speaking about here, right? So um, when we're talking about big data, um, we just talk about a lot of it and all the things you can do with it, but it's worth taking a moment to think about what's, what's kind of what's inside the lake, right? What kind of data we're gathering and to, and to be, as, as we're thinking about all the ways it can be managed and processed and analyzed, um, to also just think about what's there, how it got there. Um, uh, is it of quality? that we're going to trust it? Is there consistency? And can we really make sense and can we trust what we learn? Um, so thinking about um, you know, what, um, what, what we are going to draw, what inferences we're going to draw, what we're going to trust, right, requires thought. Uh, and this idea that we're not just publishing information, we're not just grabbing things and throwing them out, but there's a little bit of thought and reflection and understanding is in line with her quote where she said, a fool is someone whose pencil wears out before the eraser, uh, is, is a good reminder to pay attention and to use our own brains when we're looking at, the, um, at all these different sources of data and technologies that make them accessible. Very interesting. I'm thinking of eraser, Ira. It doesn't exist or very rarely in the social selling social media world. Once you put that pencil, quote unquote, onto paper, quote unquote, meaning a digital post of any kind, it's there, isn't it? Forever. There is no eraser. I, I find that very ironic. I wonder when she said the quote. Do you have any idea the, the I have, year? I, I don't. No idea. I I didn't find that out. I'm going to have to go do my homework on that. Very interesting. Uh, thank you very much. Always very poetic from you. Gerard Das, we have a little segment on the show called What's in Your Cup Today, and we just like to get to know a little bit more about our panelists. So I'm going to ask you a couple of personal questions, but don't worry, not too personal. Number one, where are you calling from today? And number two, what is in your cup right now if it's interesting? If not, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? And number three, we don't usually do guest bios on the show, but I know you have so many interesting things you've accomplished in your professional life. If you'd share a little bit with us about who you really are and, and what you do and what big data means to you. So, Gerard, tell us, please. Okay. First question, where am I? I'm sitting in my home office on your show. What is in my cup? A good cup of Darjeeling tea. I only get it in the village. I have to hoof it to New York because that powder is really available, but it's from the Himalayas. And that, I think, is my only wife. I need a good, strong cup of tea in the morning. And the third question, a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been in technology for quite some time. I won't date myself. Uh, and in the last 15 years, I, was in, I have been in distributed applications, and now the world seems to be focusing on a lower layer called distributed data. And then the two words will come together, the data piece and the applications piece. And we are getting into new terms such as distributed data science. 
which is something that I have not heard before. So that is, in a nutshell, is me. I have, I have uh, done distributed computing since 2007 or something. And in 2010, I sold the first bunch of big data licenses to an unbelievable uh, to an audience which did not believe me that it actually could work. Mm. Uh, and that was uh, some of the major banks on Wall Street. And I have stayed in big data for now, though my current focus is on machine learning. Thank you very much. And one question I have for you is you said you're in your home office. What state or what city is your home office? And we'd like to know. I am in Englewood, New Jersey. Okay. How's the weather up there? It's lovely, 70 degrees or something now. Nice, very, very nice. I, I left New York 10 months ago, Gerard, from Long Island, and moved to North Carolina. And that's a sore spot for Ira Burke because he grew up in this area, in the Durham area, and he's a little bit jealous that I'm here now, and he's not. But you, you, you never know you never know where our travels are going to take us. Thank you, Gerard. Pleasure to get to know you and enjoy your cup of tea. And Ira Burke, where art thou today? What have you been up to? What's your favorite drink these days? Well, so so where am I? I am also in my home office, not all that far from Gerard. I'm in uh, Stamford, Connecticut today, and uh, unlike earlier in the week, it is a really pretty sunny day outside. So, uh, so Stamford is looking great. Um, and, and my coffee cup, right? So, um, uh, Bonnie, I may have mentioned to you in a previous show uh, that my morning coffee that I rely on, a, you know, a 30-year-old Mr. Coffee knockoff that I got as a corporate giveaway, and it's been running yes. well for years, uh, finally replaced it. Right. So, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> How could you? <laughs> yeah, how could I? Because there are family members who want to be able to make coffee in little cups and pods at the same time. Oh, so, no. uh, so we got a fancier coffee maker now. I, I don't know if the coffee's any better, right? It's 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 still just fine. So my my normal sixty forty blend, just enough caffeine uh, to to uh, to make sure that I'm awake. Uh, so I'm not complaining about. It. I think the coffee is uh, is just as good as the thirty year old thirty year old Mister Coffee knockoff, uh, which I think is the <laughs> highest compliment I can I, give to a new coffee. Maker. I love the idea that you said a Mr. Coffee knockoff. I can't imagine anybody <laughs> wanting to knock it off. <laughs> Seriously, was it close to a Mr. Coffee? Did was it something that was more lovable than Mr. Coffee? Uh, no, it was just a corporate giveaway, so it was free. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I got it. Got it. Okay, good. What have you been up to recently? Talk to me. Oh my goodness! So uh, listen, we're we're going to talk about big data today, but the truth is there are uh, so many advancements in uh, in technology, uh, and uh, and one of my favorite uh, opportunities right now is to spend a lot of time face to face with uh, with SAP salespeople around the world, mm-hmm. uh, and so I've been doing some of that this week, last week, next week, um, in different, and I'm doing it in different parts of the world, different cities, different countries, um, and hearing their stories about what they're encountering with uh, with SAP's customers and bringing that together with some of the new things that we're doing. So I'm just having a lot of fun doing uh, doing workshops with our salespeople right now. Um, actually joined me uh, in one earlier this week, and uh, and you know for me it's just a great source both of inspiration and a chance to uh, go out and have an impact on uh, how we're interacting with the rest of the world. Very nice. And by the way, Ira, I I have to tell I don't know if our listeners know this, but I am hosting a an 
alternate week uh, DDM Tech Talks, an internal event for SAP, working with one of your colleagues, Ru Jha. And it's really interesting to see the interactivity we're getting. And you know me, uh, you know how I like to to wake up an audience and tease an audience. So we'll take a very serious topic and I'll find some teaser questions on it and open the audience session up with some teasers in the chat window and try to wake people up and get them to respond to me. Then I introduce the the person, the panelist or the presenter, and then I read the questions out of the chat. And I think it's going very well. What do you think, Ira? I think it's going fantastically well. Uh, and I think doing this, I think doing this kind of discussion, this kind of interaction um, really helps people. And look, we live in a world where people like us are working out of our home offices. That's right. right? Don't spend as much time engaging face-to-face and the combination of doing the face-to-face when we can, like Gerard and I did this week. But also what you're doing is taking the online um, meeting and turning it into a real conversation among a group of people. Um, makes a huge difference. It brings the topic to life. It gets people more engaged. And I think it improves everybody's thinking on the subject. So, uh, Good. so I think Thank it's you. terrific it's, what it's, you're doing. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to work with your team. So as Ira knows, and as Gerard now knows, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Moved here 10 months ago. Ira, the summer started very early for us. I'm sitting here in my home office. I'm glad we're all three of us in our comfortable home offices. All I'm having is a cool, clear glass of water. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, Gerard. That's probably news to you, but you've figured out why already. And I'm watching my garden struggling and suffer, and I have to go out with that. Well, we have an alternate day a watering system here. If your house has an even number on the front door, you get to water three days a week and they tell you. But the loophole, Ira and Gerard, is that if you use a hose, a handheld hose rather than a sprinkler system, you can water any day of the week you want. So I hide the hose behind the bushes outside my office window. And whenever I feel like it, I just go out and turn the water on. And my poor plants are just just wilting. It's It's been very, very hot here. Mid to high 90s for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and not much rain. So Ira, what can I tell you? I'm here and you're not, but... I don't know, you might have it better up there where you are. So anyway, we are talking today about, I found an interesting way to position this, the big deal about big data in your company, and I'm calling this episode Size Matters because we're talking about big data. How big is it? Where is it? How do you get a hold of it? What is your company going to do with it? How do you harness it? How do you get insights from it? How do you use it to help with your workforce, with your competition, with your supply chain, with your customers? Those are all the big questions. We're going to take a quick break here for just about 90 seconds and regroup. I'm going to let Gerard Das and Ira Burke have a sip of whatever's in their cup, and we're going to come back with some interesting, uh, this is almost a primer or a primer, if you will, on big data. You're going to learn a lot, I promise, from two very, very smart panelists. So don't even think of touching your mouse, your app, your dial, whatever you're using to get us. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Aaron out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. 
These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Absolutely. Let's get back to Internet of Things. We're talking about big data today. It's a term that's been bandied about for a lot of years. Do you really know what it is? Do you know what you need to do with it? You may have it. It may be a good thing and you don't even realize it. Speaking today with Gerard Das and Ira Burke, both at SAP. And we're going to start off our roundtable with a very interesting way of looking at this. Let's just do some what I call level setting. Why big data technology? Big data, the opportunity is now. And Gerard Das says in the past, technology programs were built to address either structured or unstructured data. Gerard, I'm going to let you tell us this story in your own words, and, and let's get started, please. Yeah, the, the world of mainframes went into network and hierarchical databases. Then someone said, let's simplify it, and they asked for, for a row and column model that became structured just like a spreadsheet, and they constrained it to financial figures and so on and so forth, all internal forms of generated data for analytics. A 1,000-person company may have about 10 analysts to look at these spreadsheets. And then they discovered that there were other forms of data coming from various places and cracks in the ceiling and from the outside. And life went on. We got the iPhone, we got the iPad generating a whole lot of data. The power was with the companies and multinationals before. It's come to the consumer. Look at uh, look at what you do. You go and order an Uber, and you are driving Uber's business. Uber is not driving you. Mm-hmm. And so, people people get into locations, and then cybersecurity. You read it in the news. Someone hacks somebody else's server. So all these forms of data were coming in, are starting to come in, have come in at a fast and furious pace with new types of looks, unlike structured data, and the old world, just which is designed around row and form, column format, could not handle video, audio, internet, cybersecurity, logs, and so on and so forth. And so we're concerned about speed. We're concerned about the ability to process data. We're also concerned about cost in storing this data because regulators come in and say, hey, why did you decide to give someone this this mortgage rate? Then you have to justify it. So this is the new world of new data, lots of data, consumer-driven businesses, 
all coming at you at breakneck speed, and we cannot use the old storage processing methods, nor the old application methods, because this is driving application change. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you, Gerard. Let me ask you a question before I bring in Ira and get his thoughts on this. Businesses, we have an audience, Gerard, all over the world, and, and we don't know exactly who they are, what size companies, what industries, but they're listening and they're absorbing this information. So my question is, at what point does enough data come into a company that they would say, oh my, we have big data? Is, is there a, a cutoff point? Some, somewhere in, in Asia, let's say. Uh, could it be a, a, a utility company somewhere in, in the U.S. Midwest? When does a company have to acknowledge that they have a quote-unquote big data problem or challenge. Any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, um, in the last five years, um, with new forms of data, uh, they have found it impossible to handle incoming stuff. You cannot say we need to stop at this volume to handle the data because mm -hmm. data does lose its value over time. So the fresh packets of data are very essential to run your business and make instantaneous decisions. So uh, I think five years ago they realized it. Then they tried to get their IT infrastructures to keep pace with what's coming in, and that didn't work. And that's why they've gone to in desperation to the cloud. There's a massive lift and shift to the cloud. And you can never stop because, you know, data gets stale. You get the next batch of data. You have to throw processing it, make sense of it, and your your companies are continuously under attack. For instance, in cybersecurity, it's just an unending problem. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get to. I wanted to wanted to give that idea. Yes, the data's there. It's coming in. Yes, Ira Burke, love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree, if possible, with what Gerard said, and, and add some more commentary, please. Uh, listen, it's it, 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 it's a fun topic because there are so many there's so many dimensions, right? So Gerard hit on you know first of all um, the variety of data and how that's changed over time, how we've gone from tables of numbers uh, into audio and video and location information and position information and weather information and everything that's going on around you, right? So this incredible variety of uh, of different kinds of data. Um, talk a little bit about the speed, right? How fast information is coming in and how quickly we can figure out if we need to retain it, where we're going to store it, how we're going to find it again if we need it, or whether we just need to throw it away and ignore it, but to be able to do all these things um, rapidly. Um, and of course, the size, right? The, the volume of information is, uh, is, is enormous, right? Compared to traditional, right? The, uh, look, SAP uh, for, for years has been in the business of running the applications that run a business. The amount of data that it takes is, is a tiny fraction compared to what happens when you start looking at some of these other sources, right? When you want to know where somebody was when they requested an Uber and try to make predictions uh, about where you want to have cars available, just as an example. When you watch uh, a group of customers and their behavior on a website and want to predict what you want to put in front of them to raise the likelihood that they're going to buy something, right? The amount of information is increasing really rapidly. The opportunity uh, to pull that information back and do great things in your business as a result is an enormous opportunity. So you need to be able to handle the volume, the variety, the speed, the velocity of data, and you need an environment, a technology that can do all of that together in order to give you value 
out of the information that's coming out to you. Thank you, Ira. Gerard, anything you want to add to that before I move on to something from Ira's notes? We're going to go back and forth around the table. Anything, Gerard? Oh, no, I think Ira captured it all. I captured a couple of dimensions, and then Ira finished the topic. Thank you. Ira, I want to get into a couple of terms that have been floating around. I think I know what they mean, but I'm not sure everybody out there does. We're going to talk about data lake and Hadoop. And you say big data is generally stored in what's called a data lake. The original and most commonly used data lake solution is called Hadoop, H-A-D-O-O-P. I'm always curious about the origin of that word. Ira, can you explain this to us, please? Let's give a little primer here on what this is all about. Uh, well, so, so first of all, the origin of the word, and uh, Gerard, I, I know a little bit about the origin of the word, but not a lot. Maybe there's, uh, maybe there's more that you could add, but I understand that the word Hadoop came from the name of an elephant in a children's story, right? So, and had uh, nothing else in particular to do with the, uh, with the technology, but maybe, uh, maybe that's something we could, we could explore a little bit further. Oh, here it um, is. The project's but, creator, right. Doug Cutting, explains how the name came about. The name my kid gave a stuffed yellow elephant. That's it. It's very simple. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ira. Thank you. you. Right? So, so big data is somehow like a stuffed yellow elephant. Um, I guess elephants are big, and so is the data that we're talking about. Um, but this idea that you can build a system out of, you know, commodity components, out of just, you know, I guess it's not really true anymore to say that it's just off-the-shelf computers because we've gotten more specialized at this over time. But a large number of relatively low-cost computers tied together that can all take a piece of the problem, that can all work on it simultaneously, can pull their resources to bring the results back together. Right? That's the, the heart of a system that can handle this very large amount of information. Uh, and that's really where the story, uh, where the story begins, right? How do we take information? How do we, as it's coming in, how do we push it out into this environment to all these different computers connected together? How do we figure out what we want the computers to do with them? How do we push the work out to those computers so that they can each work on a piece of, each work on a piece of it? How can we be smart about getting, gathering up the results from these individual machines, bringing them back into a coherent whole, and presenting it back to the, uh, to the person who is asking the question? Right, that's really the uh, the fundamental capability um, that we're that underlies our conversation, and that we're all working to uh, to improve and extend. Ira, where did the term data lake come from? Is there a visual in there somewhere? Is there a <laughs> it, you imagining a, a lake or a pond or a, or a river or an ocean of data just swimming around? It's it's a very visual <laughs> term for me. Any thoughts on that? Do you know, or well, does Gerard know? Well, well, so one thing to think about it's it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's not a bad one, right? That there are uh, compared compared to the older technologies, right, where we were very prescriptive up front, right? So Gerard spoke about the mainframe. We speak about relational systems. We do a lot of work um, and a lot of controlling before we ever let anything in to those environments, right? If we structure it carefully, then we can do a better job uh, at very efficiently pulling things out. Um, data lake is, is kind of the opposite, right? Because, I mean, you can throw anything into a lake, Right? Mm-hmm. And that's uh, a little bit of what these data lakes look like, all different kinds of information put together. Um, and you know what? We don't necessarily take the time to classify or categorize or structure it before it gets thrown in the lake. Um, but sometimes we can apply that structure after the fact. Uh, and that's what makes this a little bit you know, less like a spreadsheet and more like a lake, more like a data lake. 
Thank you. And I looked up the origin of the term uh, Pentaho, P-E-N-T-A-H-O-C-T-O. James Dixon is credited with coining the term data lake as he described it in a blog entry, quote, if you think of a data mart as a store of bottled water, cleansed and packaged and structured for easy consumption, the data lake is a large body of water in a more natural state. Does that make sense, Ira? And Gerard, thoughts? Yeah? Yes. A uh, couple of things. Uh, yeah, I know please. Doug Cutting. I, I worked with him. And it was this kid's baby elephant. Uh, <laughs> and, and the whole... Yeah. Very tall guy used to go to the CIA to go and make some sales calls there with him. He was interested. Okay. And he came from Yahoo. Um, and a lot of the founders of Big Data at SAP also came from Yahoo. So we are the old team. I'll also tell you that that people used to look at data and make some decisions on what would be useful. And a lot of times they would be wrong. Sometimes you go back for seven years in order to detect, say, money laundering. You can't make it instant decisions about the data and say, okay, I will take three columns out of 50 and these are more interesting. Sometimes you need to observe patterns. And... This is where a data lake comes in, right? You don't have to think about what will be useful. You just throw it in there. Storage is cheap. And then you discover the structure that would be useful for consumption later on in the life cycle. And then you keep going back there. And this has led to the discipline called data science. It's a science of understanding your data and discovering patterns that you miss maybe on the first try, on the second try, until you throw some fancy algorithms at it, that pattern doesn't emerge, right? It's looking for needles in a haystack. And that is the greatness of uh, the, this whole container technology and the Hadoop technology. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I want to move on to, uh, let's talk about the business aspects of all of this. I think we've done some good defining here, some level setting, as I like to say. Gerard, I'm looking at your notes and you say big data for all. Big data initiatives are rated as extremely important or important to 93% of companies over $250 million. The opportunity to amass and capitalize on big data is available to any organization, large or small. Let's talk about this. Uh, The data's coming in. We've already established that. You need to do something with it. We've already established that. So when you talk about big data initiatives, and what does this mean? Is there an investment here? Are we talking people, time, money, Server farms, data lakes. What are we talking about here? Big data initiatives. Gerard? Yeah, you know, business is changing faster than ever. And with each, and a lot of people are buying and selling data. Right? And as they're selling data, they cannot configure some real estate to say, this is what I need. So they make an initial small investment. They get some bright people or retrain people. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's an investment. And then they try it back to strategic initiatives are just understanding the customer. Not all big data projects will succeed because it's a lot of experimentation. It's not like a production job in IT where you crank out 50 monthly reports or something like that. This is experimentation. And by chance, you will find a pattern. If that you hit that pattern, the value of that pattern is exponential dollars. Right? People say data is the new oil. It's not. 
it's much more than that. Oil sells for $65 a barrel. The data pattern that is found useful, if you monetize it, it goes to several times the value of what you invested in it. And if you don't do big data, you simply cannot handle business nowadays. Every company, every business is becoming a software company. Mm-hmm. They all have customers, they all have distributors, and they all have competitors. So the analytical-driven enterprise is a must. I've told this to CEOs that believe me and bought data lakes after being suspect of the whole technology movement, and they have prospered in getting more top and bottom line revenue. Gerard, you said something very uh, probably controversial because on many of my shows we talk about data, we talk about business information, and very often we're quoting people who say data is the new oil, data is the new black oil, and you just said no, it's much more. Can you give me a little more about that? I was very intrigued because nobody has said it's much more than oil and we know the value or we think we know the value of oil. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, look. A barrel of oil is only worth X. You find a barrel of uh, oil in your backyard uh, in North Carolina. You can sell mm-hmm. it $75, right, after taking out all the refinery costs and stuff. But you really don't know the value of data. And you don't know it on your first or second trial. It's past that $75. You never know what it attracts. You never know who buys that data from you. And you don't know how many times you can sell it over. You sell your barrel of oil money and you're done. You're out of that barrel of oil. What about data? I can reuse it. I sell it. I take your credit card information. I can sell it to 15 different retailers. They know how to stock their stores because of you. They know your shopping habits. Mm -hmm. So it has several times over you recycle the value of data. That's why I say that data is the new oil is kind of a limited expression in my point of view. Absolutely fascinating. I've I've never heard anybody approach it that way. And and Gerard, you got into some issues, of course, of privacy. And we all know there are some very contentious, controversial cases of what companies are, quote unquote, selling our personal data to, quote unquote, bad actors who may or may not do something good or bad with it. So we know there's a lot of that going around. I want to get Ira's input on this. Ira, I'm quoting Gerard here. Data is much more than the new oil. Oil is only worth X, but we don't know the value of data. You never know who will buy it and how many times you can reuse and resell it. Ira Burke, love to get your thoughts on this. Well, first of all, um, I, I think that's a fantastic insight. Um, yeah. And it opens up, right, just the, uh, you know, that, that you can go back and with this, yeah, with big data, unlike oil, um, you can refine it over and over again. And you never know how much more value you're going to find in it. I think that's a, that's a fantastic insight. Um, Bonnie, you raised the question of privacy. Uh, yes. And that puts a really different spin on the information that's there, right? If we, if we think of a data lake that's kind of just happy to capture what information is thrown in, um, that might be a little bit at odds with some of the emerging mm-hmm. concerns that people have about privacy and especially at odds with some of the new regulatory activity, especially what we've just seen in the European Union. Yes. Right? So um, I imagine a lot of people listening to the show are familiar with the General, General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. Yep that's recently taken effect in Europe uh, and well, that, that imposes very significant fines on companies that have data that they shouldn't have. Um, and it opens up in the context of a data lake a really interesting question. How do you know? 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and by the way, if you read data and you read the data that you discover is there and shouldn't be there, have you just broken the law? Mm-hmm. Right, so it, it opens up some really interesting avenues from a technology perspective. What can we do to not only to enhance the value of the data and to make it more accessible, but now to also put in some some innovative kind of filtration, right? To be able to pull data that you're allowed to pull, but prevent yourself from either storing things or at least you know, using things that really don't belong there, and that we've made a collective decision that we shouldn't be using or shouldn't be storing or shouldn't be processing. So it opens up a a kind of new and different angle on the future of big data. Thank you very much. Gerard, any other comments? Because I want to move on to something else. We've still got about 10 minutes before we go to our predictions round. Gerard, anything you want to add about the value of data? I'm really enjoying this conversation, by the way. Nothing else funny. That's more. Okay. Thank you. Let's bring in something that another term that's being bandied about, machine learning. We actually have a brand new radio series just launched a couple weeks ago here on Game Changers called Predictive Machine Learning, Game-Changing Predictive Machine Learning. So, Ira, I'm reading from your notes, and I know Gerard sent me some as well, but let me just start with Ira's notes. Ira say more and more we're speaking about machine learning and big data in the same sentence. And then you add machines can learn, and you put that in quotes. That's an interesting thing, and we'll talk about that in a second. Machines can learn by using statistical models, examining historical data to find patterns, and then testing the patterns to see what happened next. Ira, talk to me. Big data, machine learning in the same sentence. Is that where they belong? Um, they, they really do, right? If, if we're going to, if machines are going to learn from, um, from their environment, then the more they know about their environment, the better, better off we are in general, right? That um, by looking at larger and larger pools of information, by having better and different ways to structure them, by having new and more efficient algorithms that we can apply to them, um, we can start to detect more and more patterns. We can get, the machines can get smarter about what they detect. Um, but um, I, I put learn in quotes because it is also very much under the, the guidance, at least until now, um, of a human being, right? So machines can learn within an, our, within an environment that we define, and the better we are at defining that environment, uh, the better results are going to be. Um, I, I was reading an example um, earlier today that I thought was kind of instructive, right? We could, we could hand a copy. Do people on this show still know what a telephone book is? Right, we, we, could, we could have a telephone book right, to, uh, to a machine, and it could look at all the patterns of how people's names and phone numbers are connected, but it won't tell you a thing. Right? Uh, maybe it'll tell you the first couple of numbers, but it won't tell you much about what a person's complete phone number is going to be. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that sometimes there, you know, we think there are patterns, but they're really not. Or sometimes there's partial patterns, but we're just not going to get any better than the first few things we can learn. So, so I put learn in quotes only because um, while there is tremendous upside to discovering patterns and by feeding more and more data in, we also have to be a little bit careful and a little bit structured in the way that we present the information and how we define the problems if we expect to get good results coming out the other end. Thank you very much. Gerard, I'd love for you to expand on this, and I'm looking at your notes, and you say there are widely publicized examples of machine learning applications that, of course, people will be familiar with self-driving cars, online recommendation offers like we all get on Amazon and Netflix, yes, knowing what customers are saying about you on Twitter, fraud detection. Can you tell us a little bit more about these, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, Let me step back a little bit and say, 
there's something called software to 2.0 and since 1970s we have formed we have formed a practice where we break a, a computer a problem into many different parts and it's called functional programming and we all used to sit in front of an editor and write some programs and run it it's no longer possible to do that there's a shortage of programmers Mm-hmm. and there are too many conditions to evaluate such as in a self driving car imagine the amount of factors you have to program when you're you're putting out a, an algorithm that can drive a car the bumps on the road people jaywalking in new york city which they do and <laughs> you know rain patterns bump uh, speeding on the highway automatic braking cars breaking down in front of you the number of permutations and combinations of things that you have to understand and plan towards is a huge infinite set and it's not possible to write standard programs in that case so you have to learn some new software techniques which are probably out of fancy algorithms to understand the complexities of a problem and then model that problem before you can get a materialized a self learning car and as you see there have been some crashes and people mm-hmm. are learning all the time and that is called machine learning okay very very interesting do you agree with ira that learning should be put in quote marks yes uh, there is you got to be careful with learning and and ai and all these words that are coming it's not threatening anybody humans train these machines to understand and learning is is something that humans participate in from that point of angle i do agree okay i have a question for both of you we talk about big data lakes hadoop we talk about structured and unstructured and we talk about patterns when is data too old to be useful seriously if data is coming in and you're storing it i know the question is what data is of value what data should you be using what data should the algorithms be pulling in when is data too old from a historical perspective where it would be misleading it would be before a pattern should be created uh, ira any thoughts on that we talked about this on an, another show we were talking about data and the usefulness of data on another show last week i think i i have 17 yep. radio series now so i can't remember exactly which series or who said it but i know that the question was when is data old so big data what about old data ira Uh, listen it, it it depends entirely on the context right that uh, mm-hmm. sometimes you know the world is changing the rules are changing and looking at data that's a few days or even a few minutes old isn't helpful right and on mm-hmm. the other hand some things that are more stable you can look at over time over days weeks months years uh, centuries um and there's value to be derived uh from the patterns right i imagine that if you want to predict earthquakes for example it's a really good idea to look at some very old data uh as well as more recent data um but if you want to predict um a uh, the, the next foreign exchange rate for a particular currency then old data is not going to help you very much right so it really depends on the context of the problem and that's another reason why um it's it's important to have not only really well qualified and knowledgeable data scientists but also have a good strong understanding of the context uh in which you're operating if you're really going to make good sense of the uh the data that's available. Thank you, Gerard. 
love to get your thoughts. When is data too old to be useful? When should you put it out to, we used to say put it out to pasture? If you take it out of the lake and put it out in the, the, the blast, what, we, what do we used to call it, the, the back 40, meaning 40 acres of the farm? When should we put it to rest? Gerard? It depends. Uh, like Ira said, it depends on the context. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Please. In the advertising space, in the online advertising space, if I give you stale advertising information and you click on it, that offer will not complete. So in advertising, for instance, real-time data and real-time action is very necessary. However, at the same time, some history is also needed to see when you log on, where you click, what sites you follow, so we need some history. So it's a, it's a two-headed problem. And then in other cases, um, you need data for five, six years to see your patterns of bank transactions, to see mm-hmm. where you shop, how many wires you transfer, and so forth. So depends on the discipline. In fraud detection that I worked on, I worked on anti-money laundering and fraud detection. Fraud detection is a key example of usage of big data when stopping a card or blocking a transaction, and their data can be useful for much longer time. So the shelf life of data is very context-dependent, like Ira said. Thank you very much. Good conversation. It's 51 after, and this is where we typically go to our predictions round. We call it the crystal ball. So I usually give my guests 60 seconds, but since there were just two of you on the panel, I can give you a little bit more. So let's start with you, Gerard Das. Gerard, I'm so appreciative of your sharing your vast knowledge with us on the show today. I've learned a lot, and I know our listeners will. Uh, Ira, it's, it, it's high time that we just talk about what is big data and how machine learning relates to it. I think this was a great topic, by the way. So, Gerard, I can give you a minute and a half at least. Why don't you tell us what you see, quote-unquote, coming down the pike, another euphemism, in the next, oh, let's say between 20, now in 2020 or 2020 and 25 in terms of will we still be calling data big data or will we have another word? It could be called the Gerard Das data. I don't know. You can be as, as whimsical as you'd, you'd like to or egotistical as you'd like. And how would the conversation change? Will we still be talking about data lakes or will they be ocean? So, Gerard, predictions, please. 90 seconds, go. Okay. So, Sometimes we take a couple of steps forward to take a step back. I would say the industry has neglected the discipline of data management uh, to a whole bunch of things, outsourcing, whatever be the case. So people are saying, I, they get all these oceans of data and they suddenly find that they have data that are not managed. So they're busy trying to manage, marry the two. Sometimes it's not successful. That's number one. I think people will move on to treat the new world of big data as a separate sidecar and a big one. I do not think people will call it big data anymore. I feel that in the industry is going towards a data fabric, and the fabric is kind of an extranet, internet, some sort of a neural network connection that will integrate the external world and the internal world in a much more seamless way at the same time keeping the internal parts of data and the external parts of data separate and only commingle them when one thing affects the other. That's number one. I also mm-hmm. feel that machine learning is in its infancy. We're just starting. Real-time machine learning is yet to be conquered. Machine learning doesn't address a lot of things. We're just learning. People are just doing something called supervised learning now. Mm-hmm. A lot of in- intervention. Some like Amazon are doing some recommendations. I must say Amazon's recommendations are not great. 
I always find that it's incomplete. Yes. So the discipline is very new. Though machine learning has been around since 1957, computing has caught up, and I see more and more applications of machine learning, given that all these data lakes and data fabrics are being built. So I see a lot of machine learning happening in the next five years. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Ira Burke, I have 90 seconds for you. Go ahead. Predict, please. Um, good. So I'd, I'd like to actually build on something that Gerard was talking about in this idea of a uh, of, of kind of big data evolving into a more um, a more of a data fabric um, because, um, you know, the, uh, the, the big data that we're talking about is most accessible right now to to professionals, especially to data scientists, right? These are the people who are in the best position to take this um, huge variety of data and, and discover the insights and create the opportunities for machine learning and the structure where it's going forward. But if you compare that to the overall data landscape, right, we still have many different types of data that serve different needs that could be consumed by many other people. Right, so it's not the data just that's going to be studied and analyzed by the data scientists. That's hugely important, but also the data that's available day to day to a business analyst or to somebody who needs to go purchase supplies or somebody who needs to order something online. That more and more, we need to take the algorithms that the data scientists are discovering. We need to integrate them with data that has a much more specialized purpose that's going to fulfill the needs of people running a business, people executing a transaction, uh, people sending a message, right? Whatever the, the individual day-to-day activities are, uh, and bring the power of this data just as, as a usable component, right, to, um, to more day-to-day activities. And that's really where um, I think the, uh, the next frontier is coming. We're starting to see great examples of that now. And, and um, yeah, listen, we're starting to hear more and more from our customers how important it is to capture the value that big data mm-hmm. is bringing and to pull it in, to integrate it into the other things they're doing to make their businesses successful, to make their customers successful, uh, and to drive things forward to the next step. Thank you, Ira. Perfect timing. I want to thank Gerard Das. Gerard, such a pleasure to meet you. I really enjoyed speaking with you and learning from you. Ira, always a pleasure. Come back anytime. It's your series. You can come back as often as you. It's been too long, Ira Burke, too long. I want to say thank you to Aaron, our intrepid engineer at World Talk Radio, for getting us on the air here on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here is our call to action. Fasten your seatbelt especially if it's a self-driving car, right, Gerard? Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Gerard Das, just like Ira Burke. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.